Stannis has got an angel and a devil, if you like, on his shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> You're right, I hadn't thought of it that way, but you might as well just dress Davos up in a nice white shift, mightn't you? One thing I was not expecting was a, a White Walker romance story. Yeah, sexy lady White Walkers. They've got an incredibly difficult task ahead of them, as a wildling army is bearing down them from both the north and the south. They've even taken to, to sort of putting scarecrows at the top of the castle just to make it look like there are more people. <laughs> is it possible that George Martin has been scripting for EastEnders this whole time? Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Shark Live Royal's coverage of A Storm of Swords by George R.R. R. Martin. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And this week we're doing a part which will be called Breaker of Chains. We are reading from... Uh, page 140 of the, if you've got the two book version, I'm not going to go into the differences again. Um, it's basically it's <laughs> a chapter the, about ter- <laughs> what? That's the worst part of your week, isn't it? Having to go, right, the TV <laughs> series is here, but the books are here, and they publish the book in three different chunks or two different chunks, depending on whether you're upside down or in Mars. And <laughs> it's yeah. just, can I tell you, that's just a beautiful thing to listen to. Like, you kind of man up to that challenge every time. And, and today, you've ducked it, and I'm disappointed. Well, listen, okay. Basically, if you've got George R. R. Martin's The Storm of Swords, part two, Blood and Gold, because sometimes it's sold as two books, then we're on page 141. If you've got it as one big volume, you're going to have to work it out yourself. But basically, it's the chapter about Tyrion, which begins, They supped alone, as they did so often. It's basically right after the Red Wedding. Um, and we're reading as far as uh, page 222, which is again a chapter about Tyrion, which begins, Tyrion dressed himself in darkness. There you go. Very much how I approach dressing myself when I've got an early shift. <laughs> <laughs> and you can you tell see, sometimes. That wasn't so bad, was it, Matt? That was fine. <laughs> yeah, that was okay. Okay, well, enough of this admin boring stuff. Let's get into the, the main chunk the beef if you like the beef <laughs> let's get to the beef so this first chapter about Tyrion and uh his relationship isn't going particularly well with his new bride um considering his family has just wiped out um her mum and her brother um and various relationships are strained at the moment in King's Landing there's also this issue do you know the Martells these guys who've come over from Dawn yeah um they hate the Tyrells and the Lannisters. And there's, there's been this big argument in the courtyard because someone overheard the Queen of Thorns, she probably didn't say it quietly, uh, describing Alaria, who's, um, who's, I think it's Oberyn Martell's paramour, as um, the serpent's whore, which hasn't gone down well. <laughs> <laughs> Can't imagine why. <laughs> no. I, I it's a lo- classic... Queen of Thorns, don't give a toss, isn't it? It is, isn't it? It's like, I'm little and I'm old, and if you kill me, you will only accelerate that which I've been waiting for for 20 years. <laughs> Bitch! <laughs> like, she's just, she just doesn't give a shit when she's, uh, when she's into the smack talk. She's, she's, um, she's merciless. Yeah. I yeah. enjoy the Martells, right? Because they're like, it takes a special particular kind of crazy character to be like, this is a court full of people who, in fact, run by people who really hate us and who we really mm. hate. Let's go in there and shit them up a bit, shall we? Instead of, like, <laughs> running in the opposite direction, they're like, let's talk. This could be fun for everybody, mostly me. 
<laughs> yeah, and especially Oberyn Martell, who seems to be the the hot head of the family as well, isn't he? Yeah, a hot so. head in a group of families who aren't exactly kind of reticent Northern Presbyterians to start with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so, it's, uh, as we said about Sansa and Tyrion, though, Sansa's spending all the time in the Godswood at the moment. I'm not even sure she knows at this stage what's happened at the Red Wedding. I don't um, think she does know, because it's right afterwards, isn't it? Yeah, because only t- Tyrion only finds out in this bit, because he goes for a, a meeting with his dad and Joffrey and the small council, mm. and there's this news that Rob's dead. Joffrey is bouncing around for joy. Um, and Tywin oh, says horrible, that he's... isn't it? Just, yeah. just seeing Joffrey happy just... Oh, there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with a world in which Joffrey Baratheon is happy. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, carry on. And and it looks like, well, basically they're trying to decide what to do next. Joffrey wants all the Northmen and men in the Riverlands put to the sword for disobeying him. And Tywin's trying to say, you know, you have to learn to accept surrender when people are beaten as well because you can't rule over empty lands. Um, it's just, I mean, it's 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 mercy from time, but it's entirely practical mercy, isn't it? It's just yeah. what we need someone still knocking around. Yeah. It's like, look, if we kill everyone, there'll be nobody left to rule. And you remember how important it is to rule people, Joffrey, don't you? Yes, very good. Yeah, It's like yeah. the least merciful kind of mercy you can imagine. Yeah. It's interesting that Tyrion's almost our subversive character in this group. He is the only one who thinks there's anything wrong with what's happened. Um, mm. And he he can he does have some cover to give voice to that as well because of who his wife is now. Yeah. And um, when Joffrey says he wants uh, Rob's head to be sent to King's Landing so he can serve it Sansa on a platter, Ty- Tyrion sort of puts his foot down. Um, <laughs> there, is this, there is this threat that Tyrion makes... Um, Joffrey calls him a monster, and Tyrion says that monsters are dangerous beasts, and at the moment kings are dying like flies. <laughs> and that sort of got everyone in the room was whoa. <laughs> I was going to say though, I would have expected a little bit more whoa, whoa, and a little bit more Tyrion ends up in a dungeon after saying something like that because this isn't the first time he said it either, is it? Like no. he's he's um he said this, and then I forget when it was like uh, I think it was at his wedding, yeah. Oh yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, like he was like, "I'll cut your knob off" or something, mm. and and that sort of thing. And it's like, how many of these things are you going to get away with? Yeah, I think it's it's all down to how much is Tywin allowed uh, giving Tyrion yeah. really in terms of because as we see just immediately after. Tywin basically sends Joffrey to his room um, and tells the tells the maester to give him milk of the poppy or dream wine, which I think might be how one of the ways Tywin's keeping him under control is just he keeps drugging just him, keeping him drugged. <laughs> it's like, yeah. go on, son, have a little bit of a toke on that. You'll not be much yeah. good for governing, but you'll be much easier to handle. <laughs> yeah, it's, there is a there is a little shade of horror here in that Joffrey says something like, "No, I don't need any more dream wine," and you can see that Tywin's obviously just thought, "I'm just going to keep plying this guy. I'm just going to drug him to yeah. keep him malleable," and it shows the power of him. And I think that yeah. feeds into this: why is Tyrion not being punished for just saying something like that? Yeah. I think Tywin's kind of accepted that Joffrey's a bit of a problem and very childish, and he's almost treating him as such now, less than a king. Yeah, actually, that's true, isn't it? Like he's very much a um, a kind of 
he's an empty seat, Joffrey, isn't he? And to a yeah. certain extent, you'd expect any 15-year-old quote-unquote king to be an empty seat. But Joffrey's kind of a seat that everybody's been really happy to have vacated. He's not yeah. just a little kid at the back of the room going, what are these swords for? He's a little kid at the back of the room going, chop his fucking knob off and feed it to him. And you just need <laughs> to get him out of the room, don't you? Yeah, exactly. So I'm now placed in the horrible position of agreeing entirely with something that Tywin Lannister has done, and I think I need to go and have a shower. <laughs> there's a there's a memory as well of what the sort of King Robert's relationship was like with Joffrey, where he says, "It's this memory that King Robert knocked two of Joffrey's baby teeth out over some business with a cat," and I just just put a pin in that for later because. I don't know what point, but we, we come back to this story of a cat eventually. Oh, right. And Joffrey. Okay. Um, so just remember, <laughs> at the moment, it seems like a ridiculously, you know, just a, a particularly cruel thing for a father to do. You don't beat your kids, do you, in this day and age? But yeah, um, but yeah I suppose it, it just looks as well. It's the kind of thing you can imagine King Robert doing, can't you, considering what his character was like. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it gives just a little kind of insight, doesn't it? Because... I- Joffrey, for all that he's like a kind of very, very compelling person to hate, like he's not actually that deep as a character. You already have a sense of where this has come from in his childhood or like what he was like as an even smaller child or anything like that. It's quite interesting to have just a little hint of it. Yeah. Uh, There's there's a little history lesson about uh, the rebellion here as well in that, for one thing, the the Dornishman... Um, actually came very close to throwing in their support to Aegon, oh not Aegon, uh, Aerys, oh, the Mad right. King. And yeah. it only took a, a last minute bit of diplomacy from John Arryn, remember the old Hand of the King at the very start? Yeah. yeah. Um, who managed to, to get them on side with, with Robert and actually I think it was just to convince them not to intervene on either side. Yeah. Um, and there's also a, a memory of, again, these two kids who were killed, Dremba um there's this whole business with the, the reason the Dornishmen hate uh, the Lannisters is that um, the one of their basically one of their I think princesses or something was was married to uh, into the Targaryen family mm. and she was raped and killed along with the children yeah. when um, the King's Landing was sacked and the Lannisters are blamed for that yeah because it yeah. was Lannister men who did it yeah and um, there's a bit of a discussion about that and Tywin says to, to Tyrion you know politically it had to happen we had to get the kids out of the way because that's what resistance coalesces around um but he's but he does but he it does seem that he's genuinely um unhappy about how it happened he says with a bit of distaste that the amory lock is the guy who who killed one of the kids um said his blood was in him and the same with the mountain um but at the same time timing says the mountain's so useful to me as an attack dog yeah. That he's not going to give him up because what what the Dornishmen want, what Oberyn Martell wants, is for the mountain to be given up for justice. Yeah, and um, basically, Tywin says I'm going to blame Amory Lork for it all. Who's this guy who's been killed by a bear up in Harrenhal? If you remember way yeah. back when. Yeah, yeah. So he's going to blame a dead man to try and protect um, the guilty party. It's breathtakingly cold, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you could read it one of two ways, I suppose. You could read it as somebody who is like, um, has a moral compass, but just lives in a system that obliges him to continually ignore it. 
like mm. you know the morally right thing to do and the thing you need to do in order to really pursue your aims are two different things so that's the way it is but i know do you get a sense that i mean do you get a sense of um tywin lannister as a sort of frustrated altar boy or is he is he is he enjoying this somehow i think he's he's utterly ruthless isn't he mm. um and he does have some kind of sense of right and wrong but it's all comes below what you need to do to keep your house great and that's the only th- imperative yeah i think yeah. morals are only there as far as they serve his purpose i mean there's it, there's an interesting moral discussion immediately after where he says to Ty- was Tyrion's questioning what Ty- Tywin was behind with the Red Wedding. Mm. And Tywin says, explain to me why it's more noble to kill 10,000 men in battle than a dozen at dinner. Yeah. Yeah, and, actually, you know, yeah. It, it's, it's quite an elegant argument, isn't it? Mm. I don't know. Do you think it holds up? Well, it's an excellent question. I mean, so I think, like, assassination generally is not the way that everybody conducts their politics because it throws too much stuff up in the air. Mm. You can't be certain of what's going to happen. Whereas when there's been a war, you've definitely killed all of their power base. You know, that's the sad thing, yeah. isn't it? You know, so, absolutely. I mean, the moral argument is fewer people die, and that's very persuasive. But the political argument is we'd rather have all of these unimportant people die than these few important and potentially influential people die. Yeah, I think it's, it's all tied up in that whole thing with what we talked about last time with guest right, in that um, the problem is, and why something like why the Red Wedding is so distasteful for the rest of the, the population, um, or the rest of the ruling class at least, is that yeah. um, it's one of those pillars which the society is built on, and you have to be able to trust that when you go under someone's roof and you have bread and, and salt that you're not going to get killed yeah. because if everyone's always suspicious of that happening, nothing's ever going to get done. Yeah. So yeah, it, yeah. it does kind of, it's kind of like it is just breaking the rules of the game, if you like. And, yeah. and it, and if you do that too much, you see, if, if you just take it down to a, um, a really, uh, simple level. If we're playing a board game, if someone breaks the rules, there's no point playing anymore. Is there? So you've got to find a new way of, of, of interacting. Yeah. Yeah. Winning I- and losing. I think that's very, very true, although I would like to say in, in the firmest possible terms that if you and I ever play a board game together that involves somebody getting slit by the throat, <laughs> I, I preemptively bow out of that game without playing it. <laughs> well, that's a probably a fair, a fair, a fair approach. <laughs> Thanks, I'm glad you agree with me. That's nice of you. <laughs> this chapter rounds off with, with Tywin saying that um, we're going to hold the North by um, marrying Arya. To somebody because they found her. There's this rumor of Aya being found, has been knocking around for a while now, and I mean she's disappeared, and we think we assume she's dead here. Yeah. Um, but I suppose she could have been found at the Red Wedding. But then again, it, the the timeline doesn't seem to add up with when this rumor has been has been going around because it's been about before the Red Wedding, hasn't it? Yeah. So, but then again, it could be that this rumor has been going around forever, and it's just been kind of appropriated by the Red Wedding. She was, after mm. all, she was there. Yeah. So it could be that that's kind of been, you know, that the rumour now is, no, seriously, she is, and she was caught at the Red Wedding. But that would have to involve the line, the axe found the back of her head, somehow not also meaning that she died horribly. Yeah, this is a good point. <laughs> so, you know, I like, I'm the jury's out for me. This is a bit of uh, wishful thinking from Tywin Lannister. Okay, let's, so Davos. 
Davos. Next chapter. How excited are you when you hear that Davos has got another chapter to come? Um, I quite like Davos, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because he surfs this... I'm not... I, I, it would be going too far to say that I was excited. But yeah. especially now that um, the Starks have been killed, it seems to me that George Martin really wants me to feel like the bulk of... Like one half of the story really is happening on Dragonstone with this whole Red God stuff and kind of Davos is my view into that. So yeah. that's quite interesting. Um, and I do also quite like the way that he's somehow still alive, despite being like really important in the court of this king who's totally enthralled to this psycho fundamentalist. He still, all he does is kind of wander around and kind of go, I disagree with that. I disagree yeah. with that. And I'm Davos, so I'm humble, but I'm right. Um, <laughs> and I think it particularly helps that he's the guy who plays him in the TV series. He's got this really soft sort of Sunderland accent, which is just incapable yeah. of being belligerent and just always seems more honest than any yeah. other accent available. <laughs> yeah, he does seem like the Mr. Honestman, doesn't he? And very conciliatory in everything he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, here it's a good example of him sort of saying no, you know, being the the opposite argument to what Melisandre is putting forward. Basically, the news of of Rob's death is getting around now. The mm. news of the Red Wedding, and they've heard on Dragonstone that it's happened. Mm. Um, we we get every so often you hear little extra details of what happened, which we didn't see at the time. Mm. There's this one here with Rob. Rob's wolf was behead. Rob was beheaded, and his wolf was beheaded as well. And then this so that they'd sewn the wolf's head onto his body and paraded him around. So, which, um, like, begging the question, like, I suppose that's quite, it's not funny, but, like, it has a certain um, wit buried somewhere in the massive folds of disgusting behaviour. <laughs> but, but just zoom in a bit more on that image and just imagine the guy who's just been presented with the headless body of a former king and the head of a wolf and a needle and thread I've just been told, get it done. It's the main attraction tonight at the bonfire. <laughs> I, I don't want to. What? Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Melisandre's claiming credit for the Red God. She's saying this is, a, course this is. is the Lord of Light at work. Yeah, um, very, Davos, very enlightening. Nice one there. <laughs> yeah, Davos disagrees. Davos says as well that the phrase are cursed now um, because of how they've conducted themselves. Mm. Well, that's difficult uh, but, to argue with, isn't it? Yeah. Melisandre is using this to further her case for, it seems, sacrificing Edric Storm. Do you remember this bastard who's living in... One of Robert's bastards oh, who's living yeah, in the castle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Stannis has been protecting him. Uh, and actually, way back when, this Edric Storm was... At, if you remember, he was at Storm's End. And um, Courtney Penrose, who was the guy who was the Castilian of Storm's End, wouldn't give give the castle up because he wouldn't he wouldn't give this boy up to Stannis and Stannis got him anyway but he's still looking after him yeah um it feels to me like here uh, Melisandre's saying in this the same words that if you remember that priestess used uh with Daenerys mm. when Khal Drogo died she yeah. said only death can pay for life yeah and um and this is what Melisandre says here as well it's all tied together isn't it Oh, and, I hadn't I hadn't noticed that actually. But do you think there's there's some kind of they're kind of in cahoots because the um Miri Mazdur, she had some she had some funky powers going on as well, didn't she? Yeah, I think they were both um powers which come from this red god. Were um, they? I didn't pick that up at all. 
No, neither did I. I don't think it's made explicit at the time, but it seems to me that he's George Martin's suggesting that by using this same phrase, only death can pay for life, mm. um, from these two um, essentially sort of uh, religious people. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like Stannis starts off by saying, I'm not going to kill Edric, and then he's slowly getting convinced and almost convincing himself yeah. um, as, he, as he talks through the reasons and think ideas of kingship and stuff. It's interesting that um, he says when him and Robert were tiny, they went to visit the king, uh, to King Aerys, mm. and they came away um, saying how kingly they thought this guy was sitting on the throne. Mm. And it turned out later that it was actually Tywin Lannister and that Aerys <laughs> was sick that day. <laughs> I was just quite interested, isn't it? Though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, D- Davos's trump card to, to save Edric is that sure, Balan Greyjoy and Rob Stark have died, but Joffrey hasn't died, and you cursed all three, and two kings aren't three kings. Good argument. uh, Yeah, it works just about, doesn't it? Or it at least postpones this. I always find it really weird that, like, logic should be a consideration. Like, why does the... the, What's her name? Melisandre. Why does she not just kind of go, yeah, but I want him to die because I'm fundamentally evil. Do you not understand that I'm fundamentally (laughs) evil? Just kill him because I'm fundamentally evil. Like... (laughs) Like, why, why bother with reasoning if you're trying to... I don't know. Clearly, she doesn't think she's fundamentally evil, I suppose. But there's just... You know, she's just... She's just this close to being the cackling wicked witch of the North. So why fuck around? Just admit your fundamental nature. <laughs> um, I felt... I quite liked Stannis in this bit because even after he sends Melisandre away, um, he's saying to... He's, he's saying about how he, it seems from his point of view that the obvious thing to do is kill this boy mm. because we've he's seen the power that this woman has and this god has yeah. and it's the only way he can take this kingdom mm-hmm. and he has to take the kingdom as far as he's concerned. Yeah, but his uh, reasoning for that becomes shakier and shakier, doesn't it? It's just it's mm. it's it's kind of like a regal version sitting in the corner with your fingers in your ear going, la, 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 I'm not listening, la, 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 la. Because all he's saying is, I should be king because my brother was king, and that's right, and that's I'm willing to do whatever it takes in order for that. How fucking yeah. egotistical do you have to be for that to be your only reason? All of these people and this specific child will die because well, I, suppose, I should be king. I suppose king. For, for him, it's if he believes this tale that Melisandre's got in his ear about all the time, that he's this chosen one who's got to defend against whatever's coming out of the north yeah then then he if he believes that that i mean it sums up in this sentence he says to davos he says what's the life of one boy against a kingdom Mm. um and then davos's response is everything and that's sort of turns him around but um yeah i think it's that it's that sort sort of if you have to weigh this up and if you can kill this one person and then save the whole kingdom surely you have to do it yeah no matter how distasteful it is and it's this moral dilemma that they're uh that they're trying to puzzle through between them isn't it yeah yeah that's very true yeah i suppose stannis has got an angel and a devil if you like on his shoulder he's very clear isn't it of, uh, <laughs> as he's trying yeah. to go what to do you're right i hadn't thought of it that way but you might as well just dress davos up in a nice white shift mightn't you, you just <laughs> actually have them literally balancing on each on his shoulders <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
there's this uh, the last bit of this chapter is uh, Davos is learning to read, mm. and this letter comes from Castle Black, uh, mm. saying we, we need help. Stuff, mm. some shit's getting real in the north, Gosh. and um, and it's very different from this in the series. Davos sort of presents this to Stannis, and uh, Stannis and Melisandre just suddenly decide that they've got to do something about it. In yeah. this, in the book, Davos doesn't even show it to Stannis. He's just like, oh, well, you know, he's got bigger things to worry about at the moment. Yeah. And I was, so I'm interested to see where that's going to go. Yeah, actually, that's true, isn't it? Like, because I, I kind of don't understand, like, Davos's excitement over reading this particular letter because it seems to confirm, it would seem, the stuff that's being said from um by Melisandre, right? Be evil yeah, pres- yeah. evil presence rises in the north. So if he was more political, the thing he'd do is just be like Well no, there was no letter, no, it was no nothing. I haven't heard about anything in the north. No, no, no. Mm. Um and it puts you in this horrible position, doesn't it, where you're like you've seen what's happening in the north, you've witnessed that, and you know that it's terrible and you know that there's this bad shit is going down north of the wall. So you're like kind of pulling for Melisandre at this point. Yeah, a little bit maybe. You're kind of hoping that somebody listens to her, and and that you know, or are you? Or is this just like the sort of war where you're supposed to watch, hoping that they each kill each other and nobody ends up alive? Is that what's being kind of pitched here? Well, 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 well. <laughs> Do I take it that we've stumbled across Matt's massive bunker full of plot spoilers? <laughs> Right, let's move on. <laughs> your commitment, your commitment to keeping my knowledge of this plotline uh, unspoiled is is um, uh, manful. I'm impressed. It's, it's also multi-layered because sometimes I just move things on when maybe there's no obvious reason to. Oh. Um, even if you've read yeah. all the books, so. yeah, you're a tricky yeah, oh, bollocks, yeah. aren't you? I do you're... my best. <laughs> all right. Um, okay. N- next up is John. Uh, Molestown is burning as he's uh, as he's on his way back. Um, oh no, sorry, no. They've heard word that Molestown's burning, mm. and they're they're basically waiting for an attack now, aren't they? Yeah. Um, there's basically hardly any men left to defend Castle Black, and Castle Black's practically impossible to defend from the south yeah. because the Seven Kingdoms made it that way. So yeah. Castle Black couldn't rise up and cause any trouble. Yeah. So. That means that they've got an incredibly difficult <laughs> task ahead of them as a wildling army is bearing down on them from both the north and the south. Yeah. Um, they, they've even taken to, to sort of putting scarecrows at the top of the castle just just to make it look like there are more people. It's <laughs> just, hilarious. It's pretty it? fucking bad when it gets to that stage. It is, it? isn't it? In a different age, they'd be using those wacky, waving, inflatable, owl flaming tube men things. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's also. I mean, I mean, they're, they're not all scarecrows, uh, but let's just take a look at who John's got next to him to help defend his port, his tower. There's John. There's Satin. Uh, this uh, this this guy was a whore in old time. Satin. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, what sort of a badass fighter's name is that? Well, exactly. Um, and then he's, he's he's beefed up by his third member of the group, Deaf Dick Follard, <laughs> <laughs> whose primary characteristic is being really good at fighting. No, no. <laughs> yeah, it's not Dick Follard, the magnificently 
dressed, <laughs> armoured and dangerous fighting man, is it? It's yeah. Dev Dick Follard. Um, yeah. So that's, so, so that's our dream team to defend this particular tower. It appears so, yeah. I mean, there are a few other people um, who they've described. Um, there's a guy called, uh, is it Young Kenley? Uh, I think that's his name. Yeah. Anyway, there, there's this guy whose nickname is Young. For, is it, if it's Henley, it's Young Henley. Mm. And um, and then there's Old Henley. And uh, Young Henley's well into his 50s. And Old Henley's well into his 70s. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> it showed a bit just show just how depleted this group is. Yeah. Uh they've got they've it seems they've got a good commander, this Donald Noy, who's the armorer, mm. um, seems to know what he's doing. And he, he has created some kind of plan which involves building a barricade beneath the stairs to the wall, um, to a, a, act as a makeshift defence because they can't defend the, the castle walls has not got any. Um so they just built this barricade around the the gate and the uh, and the bottom of the stairs for the for the for the wall, and then uh, that's pretty much that's pretty much it. They, they're just concentrating the archers on top of the towers, trying mm. to sort of barricade the doors to the towers as well, and then just hoping that they can somehow hold off everybody. Uh, this, this attack begins at night, and uh, John before it starts is sort of. He's really worried because Egret's part of this attacking party, isn't she? And he's hoping that she finds some reason not to attack. But obviously, it's a bit of a fool's hope she's going to be part of this. Um, yeah, yeah. And she actually, when the attack begins, I think she kills poor old Deaf Dick Follard because um, this this girl, this this person with long red hair, shoots him. Yeah. And gets away before John can fire an arrow off in return. Yeah. Um actually it's satin. Um <laughs> turns out he's actually quite good. He's um <laughs> That's the he's best much better than you'd expect. <laughs> a shit nickname is the best cover for a badass, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, like be a be a brilliant fighter and then have a name like Softy. Yeah. <laughs> See everybody <laughs> underestimate you right up until you stick your sword through their eyelids. Yeah. So I mean, this is a great, another great battle, isn't it? And we see it all from John's point of view. He, you feel, you feel this real sense of isolation as the sort of the Thens and the Wildlings pretty much wash over Castle Black, and uh, yeah, you've got these little sort of islands of towers where people are still trying to fight, yeah. And then you've got this barricade where they're making the stand, and uh, the the barricade eventually falls, and everybody retreats. And there's this. It seems that like all the people from Molestown have been forced to fight break very quickly, and <laughs> then that, surprisingly, it's almost as if conscripted forces somehow have less less motivation to fight than those who made yeah. the choice. Amazing. Yeah, and then you and then you get these poor pockets of Night's Watchmen who are sort of in the threes and fours who form groups and just get slowly overwhelmed as well. Yeah. And but then there's a. There's a super secret weapon which we didn't know about, which yes. is they've basically coated the entire staircase mm. in oil, and as the Thens go charging up to uh to sort of to to kill everybody, they set it on fire, and they obviously they lose the staircase, but it kills all the, all the attackers as well, and in that one sort of moment of tactical genius, they save the uh they save themselves from attack. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talk about scorched earth policy though, eh? I mean, like, it's not mm. as if it's going to be very easy to climb back up the wall. 
and reconstruct no. a staircase, is it? No, but, exactly. But it's a great, oh man, this is such a cinematic play, isn't it? Just this that moment, and he, he writes it this way as well, where it's like kind of, and then the arrow pulled back and you can just see the camera behind it. It's <laughs> a flaming arrow sort of spinning in it. It knocks Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves into a cocked hat, by the way. <laughs> just <laughs> how about you I could just see it so clearly and it was actually one of yeah. my favourite moments I think because it's so cinematic because it just makes mm. me think like kind of that would be so cool yeah and there's this guy as well the leader of the Fens is this guy Magna with a this long weirwood spear so like a, a white spear and um, and he's sort of in the middle of it as uh, just before it happens and he's leading them up the uh up the staircase, go rush death to everybody, you know, like, and then uh, and then it goes, and the whole thing goes. <laughs> yeah, it's just that, isn't it? Yeah, um, I mean, interesting. It's interesting what you say about cinematic because this hasn't happened yet in the in the series, has it? No. I assume we've still got this to come. And uh, something to look forward to. At the time of recording, I assume it's going to happen soon. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm really spoiler, looking forward to that. Spoiler alert. If, they've, if um, they've got the money for it, like, because this is the yeah. kind of, I can just imagine them just keeping the camera on Jon Snow's face with a bit of flickery orange light. And if they do that, yeah. I'll be so angry. Because this is just <laughs> like crying out for a big explosion and, a, you know, the whole yeah. thing falling. Because it's so dramatic. You know, it, it's, it's not just the staircase. It's like the whole bit of ice wall that the staircase is attached to just carves off. And, yeah. and squashes everybody. Amazing. Yeah. So at the end of this excellent, super exciting battle, um, we kind of were reminded of the, the real cost of these kind of things um, by another major character death. Um, spoiler alert, if you haven't yeah. seen this in the series yet. Dropping like um, flies. Yeah, so so John goes searching for Egret and finds her. Um, and she's been shot, and she dies in his arms. Really sad, isn't it? And it's nicely it, written, actually. It really is, yeah. I mean, so the last line there, I've got it in front of me, right? Um, uh, do you remember that cave? We should have stayed in that cave, I told you. We'll mm. go back to the cave. You're not going to die, Egret. You're not. You know nothing, Jon Snow, she sighed, dying. Yeah. That's just like, uh, that's great. That just tells you everything you need to know. And... I liked it because it wasn't played as like a horror moment or as like a, you know, it's, but it, you know, it's, you know what effect it's going to have on Jon Snow and he doesn't need to write that out. He just needs to write mm. death scene, very simply. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, great. <clears throat> Again, it's another thing I'm looking forward to seeing on screen because I think the two actors, the actor and actress who play these two characters have a really good chemistry as well. Yeah. So I think it's going to be, going to yeah. be really, it's going to be really, uh, Moving then as well. Yeah. So, another one gone, yeah. This is fucking Egret. ridiculous. What has he done? Has he got to the middle of this third book and then just gone, I can't carry on writing all these characters. I can't even remember their names. Right, we're <laughs> gonna have we're gonna have a red wedding, we're gonna have an axe to the back of the head, we're gonna have a battle at the bottom of the wall. Who's next? <laughs> is my question. Yeah, it does feel like a real clear in the decks, this book, doesn't it? <laughs> it does like um, can you imagine him being like, Well, she's in a good character, but she's not as interesting as other ones. Dead <laughs> And let me tell you, there's, there's more to come. Oh, for fuck's sake. So. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's move on to chapter about Bran. Oh, Bran. Um, Good old, old Bran. interesting Bran. 
<laughs> Bran is quickly becoming the Bailey of this book. He you know, is, if he is. Our, the Night Circus uh, podcast. <laughs> I like that. That's that's now like a really functional shorthand. Despite how few downloads we've had for the Night Circus podcast, go back and listen to him honestly, because you want to hear what it's like when we read a book that we really hate. It's <laughs> Well, I didn't hate it, but it, no, well, you speak for yourself. just listen to the podcast. Well, no, that character then, <laughs> fair enough. The character of Bailey, yeah. not a classic. Anyway, no. Bran. Yeah, oh, Bran. Bran. Bran's better than Bailey, I give him that, at the moment. But uh, <laughs> yeah. he better fucking do something. Yeah, I was going to say, he's on his last sodding <laughs> warning and no mistake. Yeah. So Bran's in the night fort. They've reached um, the night that this... It's one of the castles along the wall. One of the, mm. one of the Night's Watch's castles. Um, Bran knows about Rob from a dream as well. Wow. Um, which, uh, again, so news is spreading by various means, isn't it, about Rob's death? It is. I um, still love dreams as 24-hour news in this thing. Yeah, yeah. I need some way of tying together all these characters. Magic dreams, there we go. Job done. Yeah. Although, I, I, to be honest with you, I was a bit disappointed that there wasn't a kind of replay of it. I mean, not that I want to see that scene again, but I feel like you could have got a lot of character juice out of actually mm. like narrating the process of Bran having this dream and what he thinks about it and what he feels about it and how it looks yeah. and, and all of that. And But it's not, it's just, and Bran woke up and he was like, Rob's dead. And it, it feels yeah. kind of under, I don't know, it feels a bit underplayed here, to be honest. Yeah, maybe he thought there's been so much of this now that, you know, um, yeah. I don't want to over overdo it. Uh, it turns out when when Summer, remember when Bran saved John um, mm. through, you know, through Summer sort of did this surprise attack and John managed to get away from the wildlings. Yeah, um, he got a couple of arrows in him, or one arrow, and uh, was nearly killed. And they uh-huh. thought for a while that he might not make it. So yeah. he was very close to losing his another direwolf as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this arrival at the Night Fort shows just how sort of badly thought out this plan is they've got to the wall and realized they can't get over it and it's the kind of thing that we've we've been saying for for, for ages here and these bunch of kids have just gone not as far as the wall seen this what is it 800 foot high chunk of ice realized once again that they've got a guy who can't walk and thought hmm so what do we do now? <laughs> <laughs> and I would have liked this book a lot more if they'd have actually done that. If they just kind of got just that they walked to the base of the wall. Bran looked upwards. Shit, he said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, at least they're in the, uh, the the scariest of all the castles along the wall because there are so many like stories about the night fort. Yeah. There are, there's this story about the 79 Sentinels, who are these 79, I think, desert, Night's Watch deserters or something about, they did something wrong. <laughs> and they got um, they got buried alive in the ice to sort of stand watch forever because they wouldn't stand watch in life. Uh... Um, there's, there's, a, there's a ghost called Maddox who wanders the halls killing people. There's, a, there's this guy called the Rat Cook who apparently... <laughs> uh, killed a king's son and served it to the king in a pie and the king enjoyed the pie so much he asked for a second slice and as punishment um he was made to this cooks now wanders the the halls as a giant rat and he can only eat his little rat children um, and he can never get full and actually i think bran says that that um the reason uh the reason he was cursed so badly wasn't because 
he killed a prince. Mm. It was because the prince had been given guest right under his roof, which is a nice echo to uh, to the phrase. It's obvious yeah. that this is the this is why uh, Bram wants to tell this story now as well. I suppose. Yeah, I mean that makes a lot of sense. Tell you what, I'm also feeling the um, uh, a slight kind of schadenfreude. I'm really looking forward to when if this actually holds true in this story universe like what the hell is going to happen to the phrase in the Boltons as a result mm. like that's yeah. going to be quite fun to witness I think yeah there's another legend about uh, which he tells about the Night's King and it was this guy who was the commander of the Night's Watch and it seems fell in love with I don't know something from north of the wall that wasn't really human Oh, I thought oh. he was very clearly in one of the others. Yeah, did you think Definitely that? I got an impression. Because, yeah. because, um, hang on a sec. Let me let me see if I can find the description. Because um, this, uh, this actually found genuinely creepy as well when I was reading mm. this. A woman was his downfall. A woman glimpsed from atop the wall with skin as white as the moon and eyes like blue stars, mm. and looking a lot like the Cookie Monster. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, so this big legend of him effectively kind of running off with this. That's a ballsy move, isn't it? Like, I can't can't imagine what line one would use to kind of open the conversation with, like, a a hideous, horrifying spirit of the undead from the beyond. You're like, you know, do you come here often probably isn't going to cut it, is it? (laughs) Yeah. So, and yeah, so that's another legend. I mean, we don't know how many of these are true, mm. but uh, that just seems like another. In, I mean, if that was, if that one's true, yeah, um, it gives a different dimension to the White Walkers, doesn't it? It it does a bit. One thing I was not expecting was a, a White Walker romance story. Yeah, sexy lady White Walker. Oh, who needs that? Honestly, oh. <laughs> talk about gothic chic. <laughs> yeah. So in the middle of telling all these horrible stories and scary stories in the night fort, mm. something emerges from the well and everyone shits themselves until they realise it's Fat Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved it if they played it even more for, for laughs, like really get people tense and then have him coming out of the gloom going, have you got a slice of pie or a bit of cake? <laughs> Just a bit of cake would be nice. Yeah. Um, and uh, when Sam uh, when Sam appears and Bran thinks it's some kind of monster, he actually wargs into Hodor. Oh he, yeah! And, and this is like wow. This is a, this is just sort of another step of his powers, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Although, has he not done this once before? Did he not do this back in the, on the island in the middle of the lake where well, he, he had did, to yeah. chill, chill yeah. Hodor out? Yeah, because he wouldn't shut up. Yeah, but yeah. it's still a really like first of all risky friggin' play. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. it's not exactly gaining a superpower, is it? But, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I wonder kind of... So he's done this twice now. Is this going to be used for anything else, I wonder? Like, is he going to send Hodor over the wall and just kind of walk around in his head, waking Possibly. up occasionally to eat things? I think it's interesting that Hodor's the one that he uses, and you, you mentioned this fact that he's quite simple, Hodor, mm. and maybe that makes it easier for Bran to to get into his head, and maybe he'd find it harder to go into people who are more intelligent. It, that, well, that would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> turns out that Sam's been sent to the Night Fort with Gilly and the kid by Cold. Well, this. Do we got the name Cold Hands yet? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. We have and. And that, I, to be honest with you, the whole of this scene 
with Sam appearing from the well, and then all of this kind of cryptic talking about Cold Hand, was almost mm. atmospheric enough for me to forgive George Martin for not writing another fucking battle scene or like another another piece of really interesting drama that could have happened, and instead we've skipped past it. And it's like, ah. Who is well, Coldhand, and how did he get what, them out in the middle of all of these Black Brothers and all the rest of it? Did you not? No, but this was the um, the bit with the. Uh, do you remember the last time Bram, last chapter of Bram, of Sam's? Yeah. When um, he's all those all those horrible all those whites turned up. Yeah. And the crows came along. Yeah. And helped him out. And there's this dude riding a stag. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying there's that, but I don't know who he is or what happened or yeah, how yeah. Sam gets out of that or anything like that. He's just Shazam magically. He's on the other side of the wall. Yeah, I suppose so. I, it kind of felt to me like um, all these whites were around, then these crows came, and like, actual physical crows came and, yeah. and held them off, and then this cold hands guy in a, on an elk sort yeah. of did his did his sort of Schwarzenegger come with me if you want to live, and they <laughs> jumped on and, and rode away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, but so, but so, who's cold hand and and what happened? And Sam's a POV yeah. character. Like, why isn't I mean, yeah, you know, I understand why he saved the pages and, you know, you want to move the plot along. Clearly, Cold Hands wasn't relevant at that point. But it's, I still felt a bit like the the excitement I felt at the end of that, that last Sam chapter has not been fulfilled at all because he's just appeared now in this totally other storyline. Yeah, yeah, fair point. Um, so Bran and company say they, they refuse Sam's offer of joining them on a, a walk along the wall to the to Castle Black to see John. Mm. And Bran and Jojen and Mira et al. say, we're going north. So Sam leads them through this magical door beneath the night fort, which only opens to rangers. Mm. And um, and the kids go through, and they're through the wall. Is this a bit ghost in the machine? How do you mean ghost in the machine? Insofar as we've come up, there's this big problem yeah. where they, where they can't get over a wall. And it's been coming for ages. Oh and yeah! They just so happened to find a magical door which yeah. lets them through. I don't know. Yeah, it's felt a bit contrived. I, yeah, actually, I think you're onto something there. And, it, and plus, that it's been contrived with this uber contrivance of Sam turning up from the other side of the wall as well. Given that for the whole of this series, the books, the the wall's been this. You know, the point of it is that it's this unsurmountable kind of barrier, and then we've mm. had it surmounted twice in about two hundred words. Yeah, um, I mean, I suppose that they it's a secret door this which this cold hands guy knows about. Yeah, but um, but still, there's a lot of fortune here. I don't know if it's trying to say that other powers are at work, mm. um, making these sort of chance encounters happen. But um, he just feels very, very fortunate. Yeah, fair anyway. enough. I don't know. I like I, I jury's out for me. I'm I'm gonna let George kind of run with this one a little bit and see if he does something interesting yeah. with it. Okay, well, let's leave that there for now and move on to Daenerys. Last chapter for today. Oh, Daenerys. And Daenerys, we're back with you, Danny. Um, it's almost like back with the Daenerys book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as, as opposed to Game of Thrones. A, a game of horses. Um, there's a, This guy comes out. They, they've, they've reached Marine now, mm. this city that they've been marching towards, mm. um, with the help of 163 dead slave children who've mm. been nailed up to crosses along the way. So not a particularly nice city to walk towards. And Daenerys has reached this stage now where she wants anyone responsible for that punished. So she's going to take this fucking city if it kills her. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can feel the fury, can't you, like at every step. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the Marines send out this one warrior, the hero of Marine, 
who um mm. who's sort of riding out in front of he's basically riding out in front of the walls in front of Daenerys's army insulting them and uh it's basically a morale boost for the city and there's an interesting conversation between Jorah mm. and Arston Whitebeard here in that Jorah's saying oh, it doesn't matter he's just one guy and Arston's saying well, every sort of insult he shouts gives gives the defenders more morale and yeah. damages ours yeah which is a good point so he says you need to you need to deal with him yeah yeah and Daenerys turns to strong Belwas who's this guy who's been knocking about with Arston Whitebeard for a while Do you remember this massive fat eunuch yeah um, it's interesting in the series she picks Dario, doesn't she? Yeah, she um, does. And I thought the book actually made a very good point that the series really didn't make, which is in the yeah. book, like he's in charge of these what they call the second sons. And if she loses yeah, him, and the storm she, crows, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if she loses him, then she loses all of them. So it's yeah. like probably not the best move to allow him to go out and go up against this, you know, admittedly infuriating, quite hilarious character whose idea of banter is to piss in front of an army. Like, yeah. that's ballsy, because that army contains bowmen. Do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. if, if surely somebody in that huge crowd of people is going to be like, yeah, I can have that notch, <laughs> let go, right in the Rattlers. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> would have been a different book. Right in the Rattlers. <laughs> that's what we should have called this cast. Right in the Rattlers. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So she she picks strong Belwas because basically she assesses the how valuable all her advisors and associates are mm. and decides that strong Belwas hasn't really done much. If I, he, just, he kind of swaggers around and eats a lot and is quite rude. Mm. So she thinks, you know what, it's about time he proves himself. If he if he's all that, it's about time he shows it. And doesn't he show it? <laughs> he's just got this little he's just got this little leather vest which doesn't even cover his chest and um and a massive arc. Uh, like curved sword, and he just sort of yeah gets up, says right, all right then, get me get me some food ready because I'm going to be hungry after I finish killing him, <laughs> and wanders out, and right up until the point where uh, like the chat, you know, he's the fight begins, and even when the fight begins, you're kind of wondering whether this guy is just all talk yeah. and just just ridiculous amount of confidence, and then he uh, <laughs> it was quite good how Strongbowless walks out and the sort of guy in the horseback, the champion on horseback, turns to face him and Arston sort of mutters in Daenerys's ear, a chivalrous man would dismount, and then the guy charges. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, like having a commentator, isn't it? Just be like, in case you hadn't noticed that this man is a shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so so Strongbowless kills this guy um, in really spectacular fashion, mm. and he sort of wanders back, and he said he's been cut, and he says, "Oh yeah, I always let, I always let every opponent cut me, so I can, you know you can count how many people I've killed, and that's where all these scars have come from." Oh yeah, a uh, likely fucking story. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a real sense that he 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 came up from the fighting pits, didn't he? This guy, yeah. he's just like he's like a gladiator, really. And there's all even in this this battle here, he, he's kind of. He's fought to the death and also wanted to give people watching a show. He's a real. He's like a real entertainer. He is actually, isn't he? Death. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just the way he's been trained, isn't it? And it's how he's always done it, I suppose. Mm. Um, but I really came away really quite liking Strong. But before you kind of, 
you don't really have any thoughts about him, do you? Because he's just a bit of a non-character. But yeah. at least he's done something now. Yeah, that's and true. Really, Instead of being, he really imposes himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even in that small, small section, only a page or two, you really feel you've got a very colourful character there, don't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One not in the series as well. And yeah, very true. Very, very true. I Understand they why did, they ditched him altogether. Yeah, yeah. take out yeah. the screen time, I suppose. But it did mean that the, mm. the Dario Naharis bit didn't play quite as well. Yeah. Now, so the the champion's dead, but the city is going to be a much tougher nut to crack. Mm. And they've got Daenerys has got this classic siege problem, which always happened in medieval warfare, which is um, who who can last the longest, and the city's well provisioned. And yeah. her army isn't. Yeah. So there's, you know, the longer it takes, the, the, I think the people of Marine have been burning as they as they retreat as well. So there's no, there's no food and there's disease starting to develop in Daenerys' camp as well, which is, as which often in, in history has been the sort of the death of many armies in campaigns, just disease. Yeah. yeah. And the advice from Arston Whitebeard is to retreat. So you don't need the city. Let's carry on. Yeah. To, towards towards Westeros and Daenerys just can't because of the I think it's because of these slave kids who've been killed, isn't it? Yeah. And she can't leave them now. Yeah. So there's a there's a plan to go through the sewers, which sounds horrendous. Um I mean yeah. Brown Brown Ben Plum puts this forward and this another another new character. This guy is I think he leads the Second Sons or the Stormcrows, one of the other two. Right, right. And you know Nosinaris had these two two so that Dario leads one and, and he leads the other. And he's this sort of it's interesting, he's very civilized and pleasant and almost fatherly with Daenerys. Um and but you know, at the same time he's he's this kind of sell sword who's just come over for the money. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I uh, found it quite entertaining, though, because like in the middle of all of this stuff, which is about kind of honor and chivalry and, and prowess in battle. And you've 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 got basically what have you got here? Five or six dudes standing around all having a knob measuring contest. And yeah. and he, of all people, is like, yeah, you can definitely get in through those sewers. But if you want me to do it. No chance. <laughs> like where everybody else is standing up in order to be like, and I will crawl through on my knees. I'll crawl through on my elbows. Yeah. I'll crawl through in a blindfold. I'll crawl through backwards. He's like, yes, that's the route, and I'm not doing it if you pay me the entire wealth of Westeros. <laughs> yeah. And I admire somebody with that sort of bluntness, you know. Yeah, and this this prospect of going through the sewers. This isn't sort of walking along one of those large Victorian sewers with a bit of shit lapping around to your left and you're just trying to, you know, walk through. They say here that it's you've got to crawl through pipes. At some point the um the liquid waste will come up as far as your neck. <laughs> um and sometimes, you know, if it's been if it's been particularly bad day, maybe even higher. And uh, there's no, it's a bit of a maze and it's easy to get lost and never find your way out again. Yeah. And there are also things lurking in the dark, which um, might be sort of giant rats and worse. <laughs> so it couldn't be less inviting. <laughs> um, but someone might have to do it. Uh, while they're deciding what to do, Daenerys decides to go for a, a ride through her sort of camp. Yeah, and you see, it's interesting. We've heard this before, but you see again the the different states that you have in this camp. You've got yeah. the Unsullied, who are 
perfectly trained and uh, going through their sort of drills even in the evening. Yeah. Um, then you've got the cell swords who are a bit less well trained, but still look like they can handle themselves. And then you've just got the freed slaves. Yeah. Who just it's just a mess. Yeah. Um. And it's there that Daenerys gets attacked. Um, by uh, an assassin who, a bold assassin who turns out to be the Titan's bastard. Do you remember him? I, do you know what? I didn't, and I flicked through. And I was trying to find where I know this guy from, and I didn't. Yeah, it's one of those ones. It will take a while to come across. He, I think, he was the leader of the. Do you know when you had those three armies that Daenerys was facing outside Yunkai, mm-hmm. and one of them was led by this really nasty guy who threatened to rape her um, unless she came on his side and she ended up sending a lot of drink over to his oh, men yeah, and he got yeah, drunk. Yeah. That's it's him. Oh right. Basically. Oh yeah, couldn't yeah. happen to a nicer knobhead, could it? No, and he's sort of shaved his head and uh hidden yeah. out in the camp, yeah. waited for her to eventually ride out amongst her people because he knew that's the kind of thing she'd do. Yeah. <clears throat> and now he tries to kill her. Yeah. And Arston shows his badassery because he's the only guy with it, this little old man yeah. with a staff. Yeah. And he kicks some ass. Yeah. And kills the guy. Um, yeah. I love that. I love this. I, I, I have to say, one of my favourite things about this whole series is the consistent quality of pensioners. Like, you might, you're probably <laughs> not going to reach your 60s, but if you do, seems to me in this world, you're going to be badass. I just flipping love the badass grandpas in this film. Yeah. And it turns out that this badass grandpa is a badass grandpa we've met before. Gasp! Yeah, it's time for a bit of... Uh, a bit of truth telling as we get back to camp and Arston Whitebeard, thank God, reveals himself as Berriston Selmy because it's been a, a pain trying to just talk about Arston Whitebeard for the last <laughs> chapters of dinner. You've been trapped inside Matt, Matt's bunker full of spoilers. Must be horrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, in, in the series, he's revealed straight away for the yeah. simple reason that you can't have this actor knocking around for yeah. a series and a half without anyone realising that it's him. Hang on, I recognise him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and then you look at the name and, ah, Arston is almost exactly the same as Barristan. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Oh, of name. course it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that in that moment. What's your name? It's, uh, uh, Arston. It's like, it's like <laughs> some me trying yeah. to disguise my identity by calling myself Avi. And it's like, <laughs> is that, does, you mean Dave? Yeah. I, I meant Dave. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Dave. Uh, it's Ave. <laughs> 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 it's one of those things you can just see uh, when Daenerys says and what's your name close up on his, his face going shit name um, uh, Ariston <laughs> Arston yes that's what I said that's more different yes that's been my yeah. name forever yeah <laughs> and uh, so Selmy's revealed and just as Jorah's sticking the boot in mm. um Barristan decides sort of mutually assured destruction is on the cards here. Yeah. Where he uh, he reveals that Sajora used to be a spy uh, and he's untrustworthy. Oh, man, this and Daenerys is huge. Is, yeah, and Daenerys is just floored by this, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and rightly so, because, you know, she's been thinking she's finally found people who aren't going to screw her over. And as mm. it seems, Jorah, at the beginning at least, was all about screwing her over. 
And what I find really interesting about this, I mean, as well as the fact that this is massive, this is this huge turning point that I wasn't really expecting. And I did quite enjoy the fact that it's a it's a turning point that doesn't involve hundreds of people dying. Because I was starting to think that George Martin only really had one plot device in his in his in his pocket and it was to just kill everybody. Um yeah. but um so I like it for that reason. But but here's something I noticed and I wonder what you think about this. So in the course of about five pages, we have the um Revelation of a character as in fact being a different character, right? An, an unmasking, mm. if you will. And then you have the uh, uh, another unmasking done in the context of a one-upmanship of shocking revelations, right? Mm. Is it possible that George Martin has been scripting for EastEnders this whole time <laughs> and we just never knew? <laughs> <laughs> do, do, do you think it, it should have gone... You know, Arsene goes, but Sir Joe is a spy. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly how it should have gone. No, I'm thinking more about the sort of Christmas special with the shrieking and the pulling of the hair and all of that. You know, I just really wanted them to get into a cat fight because that would have been that would have that would have just brought this kind of soap opera plot line to its most logical conclusion. So, yeah, so how how guilty are each of these guys? Arston Whitebeard is obviously, or Berison Selmy, as we can now, thank God, call him, <laughs> um, has been, he's not lied, but he's told enough, un, sort of withhold, withheld enough truth as to make it just the same anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. And he's sort of, he's got in there just to gain her trust by effectively lying to her mm. and and now giving himself a better chance of staying with her possibly mm. and Jorah obviously was a he's a he's a there's no doubt he's a reformed character isn't there he from his his actions you can tell that he's he's not a spy anymore but he used to be yeah. and Daenerys sends them both away in fury and doesn't really know what to do next yeah where do you see it going well, I, I've no idea. I mean, it ends on a big cliffhanger where, like, she knows where she's going to go next. But to be honest, I know so little about the, the, the world on the other side of the whatever this sea is that I'm like, um, Disneyland? <laughs> I don't really know where she's going to go. Um, as, as for the question of, like, who's, um, who's more guilty here, like, I think it's really tough because on the one hand... Sir Jorah, I know a lot better than I know Sir Barristan, so I'm more inclined to trust him. But at the same time, he has shown himself to be, like, somewhat petulant, clearly untrustworthy mm. uh, at certain points, and as well as everything else, a dirty old man, right? Um, so I'm a bit inclined to, to, to sort of trust Barristan Selmy a bit more, but they've both, they've both seen an opportunity in taking it, haven't they? And they've taken that risk. And they have they have been loyal after they've made that decision, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's kind of like the realities. Of, in a way, this is a lesson in the realities, the harsh realities of politics with Daenerys, isn't it? Where like yeah. you can't like what matters is whether you can trust the alliance you've got going now, not whether or not the people currently in your alliance used to fight against you. And we've seen a lot of kind mm. of practic- like quite level-headed pragmatism about this in um, in Westeros. You know, yeah. you know um, the well with most of all with the fact that most of Renly's army went over and joined um, the Lannisters 
and now they're all getting married to one another and everything's hunky dory. Yeah. Um, so in a way, I think this is this is a little bit of Daenerys graduating. But what do you think? Who's who's more to blame here? Um, I think she's right in that the, she, she she needs to be angry at both of them yeah. <laughs> because yeah. she can't let this kind of stuff go, can you? If you're a, if you're supposed to be ruling in yeah. this kind of world, yeah. Um, so they both betray. I think yeah, the Sejora one is more of a betrayal because um, he. You know, she she sort of. I think it's because she trusted him more as well, so it makes it feel worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Going forward, it's it's hard to see what the right decision is as well, because you feel they are both of them for the mistakes they've made in the past are probably very loyal now. Yeah. But um, can she afford to keep them with her? What do you, do you reckon? It's the end of the road for both of them. I hope not, because otherwise, it's just the sort of suddenly it's become the Daenerys and Dario Naharis show. And that's just going to yeah. be a lot of a lot of kind of stairs. Yeah, well, a lot of smouldering <laughs> stairs followed by a lot. I would imagine of like fantasy dragon tin shagging, and like that's not very interesting. So <laughs> I kind of hope that these more interesting plot elements stick around. You know. Yeah. Well, we sh- we shall find out, and we shall start finding out by going through the next part of the book next week. Yes. Uh, so next week we are reading from. Uh, chapter about Tyrion on page 221, which begins, Tyrion dressed himself in darkness. And we're reading as far as page 259. Oh, no, 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 sorry. Page 269. You can read a bit more. Let me get the let me get the uh, words for you. 269, uh, chapter about Jamie, which begins... <laughs> <laughs> um... Just, just say the next chapter about Jamie. Eh? <laughs> Let's go back a yeah. chapter. Okay, so the chapter about Sansa, which begins far across the city, that's the last chapter you read. And then when you get to the next one about Jamie, for fuck's sake, next... don't read the first line. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, that's brilliant. That's, yeah, it's as if George Martin line. wants to fuck us over. <laughs> Well, on that bombshell, Dave. On that bombshell, Matt. Other, other thing to say, once again, if you've got your own, got any feedback you want to send in to us about the Red Wedding or the book in general, uh, you can send it to sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, you can also get in touch with us on Twitter at sharkliveroil. And we're on Facebook. Search for sharkliveroilpodcast. Dave, that's it as far as I'm concerned. What about you? I'm done. I'm overwhelmed. Yet more character deaths. What the fuck is going on? Yeah, let's let let's wrap a bow or stick a bow on this gravestone. And, uh... <laughs> this this <laughs> overcrowded cemetery. I think is what you need to say. Yeah, and we will we will be back next week. We will. Later's. Goodbye. Bye.